Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisnan. We all knew it was coming. Adulthood, relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, Air Nation. How's it going? Welcome back to the Adulthood Revisit Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Kiston. I hope you're doing well. Um, glad that you're taking this time to spend with me. Chat about a really cool project, a really cool uh, sort of project company that a mutual acquaintance of mine uh, introduced me to, and we've got the CEO of it here. So I'd like to introduce Thomas Robb of GreenBoost.co. Uh, here with us today, going to talk to us a little bit about his project that he's got going on, Green Boost, uh, revolves around financial literacy. But before anything else, Tom, welcome to the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to, glad to be here. Awesome. I, I'm, I'm glad that, you, that we found the time to connect. Um, took a little bit between uh, our mutual connecting <laughs> us, but it's all, it's all working out well. So why don't you, before we jump into, I mean, I'd like to get into your story, uh, because I know when you and I were talking, it some of the background work that we do, I mean, I do as part of my practice, consumer bankruptcy work. And, and there's a lot of things that I tend to notice within and among my clients that sort of when we were talking about green boost and what it is and what the intention is that it, it really speaks powerfully to a certain group of, of individuals. So um, why don't we start off with that? If you can share a little bit about what green boost is, how, and then we'll come back to it um, as, as we move along this conversation. Yeah, so uh, Green Boost and the goal of Green Boost is basically to develop an entire platform to help people learn financial literacy and basically build long-term wealth. And obviously that is a very broad statement, uh, but the idea is we're trying to combine uh, basic education, accountability, motivation, uh, digital resources, and kind of bringing in some like apps and programs and stuff like that to create a whole platform that takes people you know, where they're at currently financially um, and education wise and just try to move them forward. Um, and so if you think about any sort of financial literacy or financial education you've received growing up, it's probably zero. <laughs> and that's the issue that, <laughs> that's the, issue that uh, the entire country is facing right now. And that's what we're trying to solve. And obviously, you know, that's uh, the way that we're attacking that. I'm sure we'll go into that in greater detail later. Uh, but we're just trying to solve kind of helping people build wealth. Uh, and that's through education and kind of motivation. Yeah. So setting that aside, so now we, now we understand like what a little bit about what Green Boost is. Let's talk about you first. Um, maybe you want to set the table with your background and then, because I know you spent some time doing in, in the finance world and Wall Street. So why don't you share a little bit about that uh, so people understand a little bit more about who you are as a person. Yeah, for sure. Um, so actually, I grew up in Michigan, uh, graduated from Michigan State University, uh, you know, broke into Wall Street. Uh, Michigan State's considered like a non-target school. So spent a lot of my time in college kind of networking, flying myself out to New York. Uh, you know, this sounds crazy to probably a lot of younger people. I actually went around Michigan dropping off resumes, trying to get uh, internships and stuff like that. Uh, thankfully was able to, you know, nail down two internships, finally got an internship at Morgan Stanley, my, uh, junior year in New York city, obviously converted that to a full-time offer. I was at Morgan Stanley for six years in equity research. Um, and so 
most people aren't familiar with equity research, but basically what we do is we partner with kind of the hedge funds and mutual funds that you'll see on TV, CNBC, et cetera. And we try to make them and help them make more money. Um, and basically we do that through a few key ways. Uh, we have a deep understanding of the companies that we follow. So you're kind of assigned a certain industry or group, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it was our job to kind of understand the deep fundamentals and create, you know, complex financial models to understand what would happen to these companies in the future and try to predict them. Uh, we'd come up with some sort of conclusion or insight and basically create a report around that to then sell it to uh, our clients. And those are, again, those were kind of like the hedge funds and mutual funds. Yeah. Um, did that again, like I said, for six years. And kind of realized that um, throughout this time, I was looking for something more entrepreneurial um, with hopefully kind of a way to, you know, build something from the ground up as well as like help other people. Um, and, it, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll kind of get into this, uh, you know, in a little bit. But, you know, I got interested in financial literacy because, you know, I noticed a lot of people in the neighborhood I was living in, which was Alphabet City at the time in, in Manhattan. Uh, I just noticed a lot of people were, you know, using a uh, check cashing station on the way home, you know, in between my apartment and, you know, the F stop at Second Avenue. Uh, and, you know, so we can go into more details on that. But, you know, just started researching kind of check cashing stations. And uh, if anyone wants to learn, you know, kind of an intro to uh, the terrible financial services available to the underbank, that's probably the uh, best way to start. <laughs> So let me ask you this because I mean, in the world of even just, just like when you talk about the market research for the entities that you were dealing with were these large, large scale global entities. Right. And so you spent six years of your life, the kinds of clients, the people, the interests that you're working with were all large scale million, if not billion dollar transactions. Um, now I understand you saw, you observed this, but what, like, Actually, let's turn to this first. Let's go back to the story that, that kind of piqued your interest into what the consumer model was, because the consumer model is probably different from the corporate model. So yep. you saw this going on, right, with the, this check cashing place. And like, what was that experience for you? And what, what really interest you, interested you about that, what you observed? Yeah, so it was kind of a couple things. Like, you know, I mean, taking just kind of just like a step back is like usually any sort of like financial knowledge you have, you learn from your parents. Yeah. Right. So, you know, from when I was young, you know, I just learned like you go to a bank, you deposit your money and like that's usually your main financial institution. Right. Um, and so when I basically saw people waiting outside of this institution that was not a bank to access their money, I was like, it just literally, I'm just kind of just like a curious person. So I was like, is this a payday loan place? You know, I see like they do, like, I know you can like send money abroad, which that makes sense. But, you know, you start doing some research and it's like, oh, you're, you know, you're paying, you know, whatever it is, a 1% to 4% to access your money. And this is three doors down from a bank, right? So it's like, <laughs> you know, you kind of just like start, uh, you know, you, you start from like where, you know, you grew up kind of thing and kind of how, what you understand to be financial like transactions and financial bank and stuff like that. And then you kind of see this like very, you know, you see people in your neighborhood who are, you know, not taking advantage of those things. So it was kind of just like a, just got really interested into it and, you know, kind of stumbled across like how big of an issue it really is. Yeah. Did you, 
let me ask you this. Did you feel a certain kind of way? Because there's a lot you have to, to move from the industry and the space that you were working in, right? To then say, let me, let me like take a deep dive into the consumer, well, consumer area of this, the consumer mm-hmm. model where there's probably not a lot of, you know, for, for whatever, like money to be, to be made. Maybe there is, maybe there's not, but there's not a lot of jobs. There's not a lot of, so to, to move into that space, you, what was that decision-making process in your mind to maybe, you know, have to say, I've got to put my, my financial job in equity research on, on the back burner to then pursue this? Like, what was, what was that conversation going on in your head? Yeah. I mean, that's a uh, big question. So I think the, you know, again, a couple of things. I think Wall Street kind of sets you up to understand how businesses make money and kind of how they operate and kind of have a deep understanding of that. So, you know, anytime I would look at a situation or a problem, my first thought was like, okay, who's making money? Why, you know, is that a good way to make money? Should they be doing that? And even more importantly, can I think of a better way that would make me money? And, you know, it's, at least in the case of check cashing stations, uh, not uh, take advantage of other people, to say, probably to say the least. Right. Um, and so as, you know, originally I, you know, again, when you look at the research too, it's like, it's most obvious, you know, if you're looking for, you know, looking at low income families and stuff like that, they're kind of like typically underbanked and take, you know, using these institutions. But at the same time, if you look at kind of the statistics across the entire nation, it's like a large percentage of people don't have any savings. Most people have some sort of credit card debt. Uh, most people can't afford, you know, a $400 emergency without dipping into savings and, you know, running up credit card debt and stuff like that. So, you know, the idea behind all this was, you know, there's, there's clearly one group of people who are just basically completely locked out. And that's like the structural issue that obviously like everyone's kind of very well aware of that over the last three or four weeks now. Right. But then at the same time, it's like a lot of people uh, who don't have that structural disadvantage are also struggling with finances. So the idea was always to kind of like make one organization that was able to help both sides of those. So, and, and you know, a lot of people call it like kind of a, like a double, a double bottom line business or, you know, doing good by doing well kind of thing. Um, and kind of the biggest example, of this is probably like Tom's shoes. A lot of people have heard of. Um, and so it's kind of just like, you know, if you buy a pair of shoes from them, they donate a pair of shoes and they kind of, you know, were, you know, I don't know if they were the first, but probably one of the most popular and the, and the CEO wrote like a fantastic book. Um, unfortunately I don't have the name of it off the top of my head, but it's a fantastic book. You should search for it. Um, and so the idea is like, you know, there should be some sort of way that, you know, you can help a lot of people by, you know, making money off of people who can, you know, certainly help you while also kind of funding people who, you know, can't pay for it as well. Um, And so that's kind of, you know, the original plan was, you know, to create a more holistic business where, you know, you're helping as many people as possible while not, you know, you're not like, uh, you're not begging for money or or anything like that. Let me ask you this, because as as you were just sharing that, I I guess one of the questions that, that like popped up for me is who, who, if anyone, bears the burden in that, in that system, right? You're, like financial 
if we're talking about lack of financial literacy for certain groups of individuals, right? Some of it may be, um, well, who, I guess whose burden is it to, to provide and have access to it, right? If you're an individual, do you think the burden is on you to then seek it out? If you're, let's say, again, in the, at the institutional level, large, you know, sharehold banks or whatnot, financial institutions, is it their responsibility in, in sort of governing the way money works to educate individuals? Like, what, what do you find that balance, of that push and pull between individuals being responsible and then entities being responsible? Yeah, I mean, given how just important of an issue it is, you know, I think it's, I think it's everyone's, right? It's like, you know, it, um, you know, at least on the individual side, I think, you know, some people don't know that the situation, the financial situation that they're in can be improved, right? Because if you kind of just, again, if you, you know, learn from your parents or you learn from your neighbors or whatever it is, like, you might not know anything else. Um, but at the same time, that means the people who, you know, do see the issue and are capable of addressing the issue, you know, absolutely have a social requirement or a social responsibility to try to fix this. And, it, you know, and, and the same thing, and, you know, we can kind of talk about that later too, but, you know, I think if you're capable of doing something important, like you should, you're required to do that basically. Right. And you have your podcast and you're putting a lot of good information out and you're reaching a lot of important people. And, you know, maybe you only help one person, maybe you help a thousand, doesn't matter if you're capable of doing it, you should do it. Right. Yeah. And so same thing with financial literacy, this is, you know, it's, it's your life, you know, and if you want to stop at your life, that's fine. But this very frequently goes from, it's your life. It's your significant other's life. It's your children's life. And frequently it's, you know, a couple generations down. So, you know, when you start to think about a very holistic vision, you know, not only should there be, you know, a poll demand, like I want financial literacy, there should also be that other side saying like, yes, and we want to provide that to you. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, you know, I think it gets complicated at that point, right? So a lot of people don't know they need financial literacy. And a lot of times corporations are more incentivized to either help more wealthy people or, you know, I, th I think it's like once, once you start looking into donating and kind of providing peer education, I think it gets kind of complicated. Just yeah. frankly, if you're dealing with, you know, a corporation and trying to figure that out, just gets complicated. Um, so we're trying to be, you know, basically a, almost like a brand in the, in the middle of that, right. right? So if you're a person is like, okay, I realize that I do not like my financial situation and I want to improve it. Where do I go? Right. And right now I don't think you can answer that. Like, you know, if, if I have credit card debt, where do I go? I can Google it. And then, you know, the website that you go to will try to sell you another credit card or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever they do. Um, at the same time. And, and so, and then, you know, from the other side of that equation is like, okay, you know, I might be a family foundation, I might be a corporate, I might be a bank, I might be, a, you know, any sort of nonprofit community organization. It's like, okay, how do I, how do I supply that? Or how do I fund it? Or how do I do that? Right? Yeah. And so bringing that together is, you know, is kind of, you know, that's kind of like what needs to be solved, I think. And there's a lot of, 
it, it one, it's difficult because you have a lot of parties on both sides who generally don't communicate ever together. <laughs> and then there's a lot of financial incentives basically keeping them apart as well. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, solving that ecosystem issue is kind of, sorry. No worries. Cool. I'll see what I can do to edit that out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sorry. That was a phone call. Um, so yes, solving that ecosystem issue is one of the biggest things, one of the most important things I think you can do. Um, and that's when, you know, you know, when you're trying to balance, not only are you trying to balance that supply and demand, but also increase both sides as well. Right. Um, and so at a certain point it's trying to create, you know, a marketplace. I, you know, it's kind of like a vague idea of what you want to do. Um, yeah. So you, you, you said for me a few, few of the buzzwords that ring solving problems, marketplace, and that, at least in my experience, ends up being equ the equivalent of entrepreneurship. So um, as you've decided to undertake this, like what, what's helped you prepare for this? I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's the events in your life, your experience in, um, in equity research, like how has your past, maybe your Wall Street experience gotten you prepared for this moment? And did you, did you ever see yourself, you know, uh, to a, a correlate to that, like, did you see yourself at any point, maybe when you were like working equity research, deciding that you were going to take the entrepreneur's journey and like try to solve this problem? Yeah, so I've actually always been interested in entrepreneurial, uh, kind of like entrepreneurship and stuff like that. Even when I was like really young, I, you know, tried starting like small businesses and helping my neighbors, kind of just like a service transaction kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and so I was really interested in that and kind of came across finance as almost like a, I guess almost like a meta layer to entrepreneurship and understanding companies and the finances behind it and stuff like that. So I think the, you know, where Wall Street comes in is again, it's like you have a deep understanding of like what drives revenue and profitability and cash, right? And so if you're trying to create any sort of business, like those are kind of like your key metrics of what you're trying to do. And, you know, kind of the systems in place and kind of your skill set of just tracking those and modeling them and stuff like that, you know, that also expands up even further to like, okay, let's look at you know, sales quotas and other KPIs that drive revenue, right? So kind of just like the thought process of a business is kind of just like a very fundamental layer that you get in Wall Street. So I'd say like that alone is kind of just very helpful when you're starting a business, just so you don't run out of cash accidentally, or like you don't realize that you're bankrupt or anything like that, right? Um, I would say the second thing too, though, is like you start to, you know, interact and build relationships with a lot of different types of people, um, like different personalities, you know, people who have no desire to talk to you. Like you kind of have to convince them to work on projects with you. Uh, obviously you have to reach out to like very important people who, uh, are extremely smart, extremely successful. And you basically have to convince them that, you know, you should be taken seriously and you have a good idea. And so when you combine kind of like an understanding of finances and how a business runs with an ability to kind of generate, and build relationships, you know, you start to see like, that's kind of like a business, right? You know, of the core concepts of building a business, it's like, you need to have an idea and a model behind it and you need to kind of go out and get it. 
Um, so that kind of like, you know, I think Wall Street in general kind of builds that. Um, I would say like, you know, I, I think like surrounding yourself with people who are also interested in entrepreneurship. Like I was lucky where I had a few friends who were kind of just interested in it. Uh, we would always like bat around ideas and kind of come up with business plans and, you know, search, you know, kind of built out a few ideas. Um, I would say like one the, probably like the main book that, you know, I, I was always like reading books about entrepreneurship and starting companies and stuff like that. The book that probably like really pushed me over the edge was actually a shoe dog by Phil Knight, the guy who started Nike. And so he was like, you know, before he started Nike, he was like an accountant. Uh, and basically, <laughs> and from an accountant, he, you know, he hired, you know, one guy to work for him like part time. And obviously, you know, I don't know how many years that is 40 years later, we have Nike, right? And so like, and he kind of like quit his job to travel the world. And, you know, I was a millennial and, you know, kind of did that and got sick of it kind of thing. So uh, I think between like having a good fundamental base, being interested, interested in entrepreneurship, putting yourself in the right place with like other like-minded people and having the motivation to then like pull the trigger and like actually take a, you know, you know, take a risk on a big idea. Uh, it's kind of just like, you know, it's a very, you know, long layered process to kind of going from, you know, a corporate salary job to quitting and starting a business. Something that I'm always interested in when I'm speaking with people, especially when they, they bet on themselves and like undertake a project like this is that there's always that discussion in the head, maybe even with people in your life, family, friends, where like it's an idea, but then to take the actual action, whatever it might be, putting it out there, incorporating website, like what, was it a smooth decision for you to say, you know what, I'm going to pursue this and I'm taking the action as soon as it popped up. Or was there a period where you had, whether it's reluctance, reticence, concern, like I've got this job. Why would I, why would I jeopardize this? What was, what was that like for you to find? And what, if anything, put you besides this book, put you over the edge to say, you know what, I'm taking action behind this idea that I have. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I guess I, the way that I think about, you know, taking risks or moving forward or thinking about like where you want to be in life, you know, not two years from now, but 20, it's kind of like setting yourself up to take, you know, big swings at bat is kind of how I think about it. Right. And, you know, taking care of the downside. And again, a lot of these are just like investing terms that <laughs> I had then applied to my life. I don't know if they're kind of like, you know, they should be applied to life, but you know, taking care of the downsides and setting yourself up to take big swings that can lead to like very good outcomes. Um, it's kind of like what I was looking for. Right. And, you know, I started looking at, you know, you know, I had a great career on Wall Street. I was working under some of like the best bosses in their paths or kind of like in their industries and stuff like that. And, you know, I was, you know, I kind of looked at it as like, you know, so what do I want to do, you know, in five, 10, 20 years? And, you know, I think it was kind of just like longer term, I knew that I wanted to try to start my own thing. And, you know, kind of like build that life around that, uh, and not necessarily wall street. Speaking a little more, but 
turning back to, to green boost, I guess a little more practically, um, like what's, we, we, we sort of talk about what the idea is principally, but maybe if you want to talk immediately and maybe in the relatively near future, let's say five years, like what's green boost the goal right now, um, with any immediacy. And then also if we're going to say the next five years, like where, what is the goal for green boost and what do you want to have happen, uh, in the coming months and years? Yeah. So, I mean, like, so like what I said at the beginning, you know, we're trying to help people build wealth. Right. And along the way, there's a couple like very important things that we're going to kind of help individuals do, or kind of our aim is to help individuals do that. Right. And we want to help people kind of build an individualized plan uh, and to fight any sort of like disadvantages they're facing and to help them build wealth. Um, and doing that will help combat, you know, wealth inequality from kind of the bottoms up and fight any sort of like misinformation. Um, so I don't think we actually talked about this, but, you know, I was originally <laughs> invited to a, you know, quote unquote, financial literacy seminar in Queens and, uh, you know, got there and, and realized it was actually kind of this like multi-level marketing scam to sell whole life insurance to like low income minority families. Um, and it was like, you know, again, when you, when your schools and organizations don't provide financial literacy, you know, shady corporations will fill that void willingly because they'll make a bunch of money off of it. Right. Uh, so that's just, you know, that's just like one financial product. And, you know, again, like sometimes it makes sense for people to have that, but usually it's like, it's super important to fight that kind of misinformation that people are bombarded with all the time. Um, and then third, I would say like actually setting people up to build, you know, uh, generational wealth. So those are kind of like, you know, structurally or kind of like the big goals whenever we structure kind of like, you know, be a product, a partnership or, you know, what we're working towards. Those are the three goals that we kind of want to address. Um, so again, like right now we are doing, uh, um, financial literacy workshops online. So we actually pivoted from doing, uh, in-person workshops at schools before COVID. And we were obviously forced with everyone else to kind of figure out our, uh, our post COVID strategy. Yeah. So we've been, you know, we've been doing free online workshops. Um, at the same time, we are going to be, uh, piloting a program in Detroit that actually helps people kind of like one-on-one -on -one digitally over zoom and stuff like that. So we're going to go from kind of like a, uh, a generalized education company to um, doing more personalized coaching and motivation. Um, and so the way that I, you know, try to explain that to people is like, if you start thinking about, you know, a diet or a workout plan, excuse me, I think, you know, there's multiple ways to do that, right? Like one, you can go onto a crash diet workout three times a week and get like free information on how to do that on the internet, right? And so, you know, you're going to tell yourself like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to sprint for a marathon, <laughs> a marathon distance, and inevitably you are going to crash or give up, et cetera, et cetera. So we're trying to provide kind of the platform that says like, okay, we are going to teach you the very basics and reality, you know, financial literacy is, you know, it's really just spend less than you make 
and invest the rest is literally 90% of financial literacy. And so, like, you know, it's, it's one of those things again, right? Like, it's like, you don't need to understand, you know, the biodynamics of your body to properly, properly work out and like lose weight and gain muscle and get faster and stuff like that. Right. What you need is the basics and a great coach and consistency. So we're trying to provide that for people, you know, so over time we want you to improve by whatever, 1%, 5%, whatever it is. But we want to just make sure that you keep looking at this over your entire life. And you don't think this is a, okay, I build a budget one weekend and then uh, kind of just ignore it. Right. Um, so that's kind of like, again, that's kind of like our main goals, our philosophy of how we do this. And over the next five years, you know, we're trying just to help, you know, as many people as possible. So again, we're doing, uh, we're working with uh, nonprofit organizations. Uh, we're going to be working with individuals. We're starting to explore looking at uh, providing this as a employee benefit, which I think is going to be super interesting because I think employees will start to realize that, um, you know, not only is kind of that paycheck that I receive important, but, you know, how do I actually build wealth at this company over my career is really the goal of whatever that paycheck is, right? And I think when companies start to look at, you know, how can, and this is kind of goes back to our conversation before, like, how do I help that uh, wealth gap, right? How do I help directly, right? And it's actually hiring people of color and making sure that they know how to save money and build that wealth over time. Um, so we're kind of looking at, you know, all sorts of different uh, types of partnerships. Um, and again, we kind of want to be that platform where people can turn to and be like, if, where do I go to improve my financial situation and kind of track that over time? Um, and so that, I think that's kind of like a continuum over the next, uh, I'd say few years. Yeah. I want to ask you about en enrollment in, in getting partners to work with you, but also in clients. But I want to start with like the, the nonprofits that you work with, I don't know if there are any for-profit organizations, but like we talked about, or you, you shared that the, there's, a, there's a huge space between, let's say the commercial or corporate entities and their interest in, in like the way money works and then the individual, right? The, the consumer. Mm. Um, and that sort of Green Boost is in there to try to connect and bridge that gap. Um, how, what's the... Like what are the challenges you face in enrolling? Again, I want to start the first part of this question, partner organizations to um, bring them on board to the mission of Green Boost, whether it's changing, do you have to like change their understanding of, of what financial literacy is for consumers? Like, is it just strictly for them analyzing and determining what their bottom line benefit is? What's, what's yeah. that enrollment conversation like when you do have them with, with partners or potential partners rather. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a few different layers and, you know, I think where the industry is at right now is, you know, we're in the first inning, right. But the first inning means like no one even knows that there's kind of a game going on. <laughs> so it's like, they're like, okay, financial literacy, financial wellness, financial education. I've heard all the buzzwords and, you know, I think a lot of people still think that they're just kind of buzzwords um, we can, you know, throw a couple of videos that our employees are, you know, are the people in our organization and, you know, that's all set. Right. So I think there's, 
you know, I, I think there's kind of just like, people are kind of still trying to grasp like what all this means. Like, is there an actual benefit? You know, what's the long-term idea here? Um, you know, since it is kind of just, um, you know, since it is a lot of buzzwords, you know, I think people are also kind of being like, you know, I want to make sure that anyone I do work with is actually legit. Um, so obviously, you know, again, like anytime you start to get a mass popularity of a new thing, you know, for every, whatever, hundred companies that pop up, you know, what 95 are going to be like either go out of business or they're going to be a scam or like not very qualified and stuff like that. So I think people are kind of just like, they're still trying to understand what's going on. Um, at the same time, I think if you look at the individuals, um, that they typically represent, you know, a lot of people are like, okay, I have this issue, this financial issue and I know exactly what I need to fix it, which I'm, <laughs> which the issue is like, they usually don't know exactly what they need to fix it. <laughs> so you're kind of saying like, I understand this is your problem. Uh, I understand this is how you think you should solve it. And unfortunately I have to tell you that you're wrong and this is how we're trying, this is how you should solve it. <laughs> so you're trying to go to the organization to say, okay, you guys should offer this. And by the way, you have to tell your, uh, the people that you represent that what they think they need is actually, you know, that needs some tweaking. Um, so it's, you know, again, it's like a massive kind of like education gap. Um, maybe not gap. I mean, it's just like, it's so new and a lot of people don't have access to it that they just don't know what they need yet. Um, so when we go to kind of a organization, um, we do start off very basic though. Right. And, you know, saying like, hey, we're going to come to your school. Like if you have a classroom that's available, the kids get picked up at five, whatever. Do you guys have a classroom available at 515 so the parents can come straight to the class? Right. And so, you know, and again, if you're able to tell your story and have some sort of background in this and you can show kind of like what kind of workshops you have. And, you know, obviously now, you know, I've, you know, I've done enough that I can actually, you know, give recommendations and stuff like that you know people are willing to try it um i think there's still you know what we're trying now is to kind of get like more investment behind it um so we'll try it um and a lot of times like especially when you're working with nonprofits, it's usually like we'll try it for free and then we can talk about you know paying later and stuff like that um so yeah i think there's kind of just like a few layers that we're uh we're working through and again like i said i think it's uh yeah, I think the main issue is that we're kind of like still early in the game and people are trying to figure out where everything fits. Yeah. What about where, what about the role or, or the, I don't know if to call it another, another gap that you'd have to deal with in how to deliver, I mean, in how to deliver that education, right? Um, I mean, set aside quarantine and shutdown, but under, let's say what we'll call normal circumstances or if, if we weren't shut down, let's put it that way, and we could congregate and get together in person, um, what are the, the challenges that you faced so far even, um, in, in getting not just people like, again, maybe the, the individuals to engage, but also the, de- the deliver, the deliverability mechanism of, of your program. I mean, it, if you're partnering with nonprofits, I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet a dollar that they have issues with whether it's technology or so yeah. the individuals you're trying to work with ultimately the consumer side, they probably have. Uh, lack of access to or a lot of them or a lot of people have lack of access to technologies or so so what are you finding in that space the the issues with delivering the program yeah i mean i think so again we started off uh very low tech 
right? It was like, um, again, it's education. So you can teach off of a PowerPoint slide or whatever it is, right? So I would build a PowerPoint slide. I would come in with worksheets, again, all printed out. Like you don't need a iPad or a laptop or like anything like that to do the classes, right? It's just like, you know, if you give me a big screen to present my information on and I can hand slides out to everyone in a worksheet, uh, then, you know, that's, you know, very low tech and most people can kind of like work through that. Um, I think, you know, and there's good things and bad things about that method. Uh, one, it's, you know, it's a bit more scalable just because, um, you know, you can help, you know, however many people can fit in a room at once. Right. The down and the other, the biggest thing though, is that uh, doing it in person, you can also one build trust, which is extremely important because, you know, again, personal finance is very personal. Money is very personal and no one likes talking about this. Right. So again, if someone just comes in and be like, I want to help, you're like, uh, your first thought is like, you're probably shady or something. <laughs> so doing it in person, uh, you know, combats that. Um, the second thing is that, um, you know, it, you know, you're able to kind of like gauge the room a little bit and make it much more interactive. So there's some mechanisms like online and stuff like that that you can kind of replicate, but there's really no, uh, you know, still building it, kind of building that uh, relationship in person and kind of allowing that engagement to happen naturally in a room is just much better. Yeah. Uh, the downsides to that though, is that there's really no, you know, it's not one-on-one -on -one and it's, there's no really accountability behind it or it's very difficult to kind of tack that on. Um, so if you take, you know, pull two people off the street, you know, their financial situations are gonna be wildly different, right? No matter if they're next door neighbors or whatever. Um, and so you can be talking about one topic, but in reality that might only help a small percentage of people. And then even if you do kind of, you know, help the people who need that most, you know, there's really no way to check that they kind of followed through. So we're trying to transition it between kind of combining those two with having kind of the basic information available kind of like on an online portal and then offering kind of like a one-on-one -on -one Zoom call. We're gonna be like, okay, let's actually talk about your actual financial situation and work from there. Um, and so the good thing is, is like that doesn't require like a big technology investment by the organization itself. And, you know, a lot of times it's like, you're either working off of apps that are available online and obviously, you know, I'm assuming 99.5% of people have cell phones. So it's like between Zoom and, you know, a couple apps on your phone, you know, it's actually quite easy to track your financial situation and, you know, actually like, you know, talk to a coach or, you know, talk to a mentor, you know, online. Um, so, you know, you know, both are actually very useful for different cases. And now we're working on like combining them. Um. You'd mentioned Shoe Dog before, and I'm always interested in like Goodreads. So, uh, any other books or so, whether whether just in in this in the realm of financial literacy, or even just you know reads that have that have sort of formed or, or help help been formative for you with respect to entrepreneurship, pursuing this pursuing Green Boost. Uh, mm -hmm. Any recommendations for any books or so that you really really recommend? I would say on uh, financial literacy specifically. There's a book called I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And I'm, I'm, it's a very popular book. I'm blanking on the author's name. but Ramit Sethi, um, right? Ramit Sethi. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so his 
his like entire thing is like you basically make a plan and you automate it. And again, when you think about, you know, what's the path to financial literacy or building long-term wealth, it's literally you make money, you spend less than you make and you invest the rest. Right. And so automating that is the most powerful thing that you can basically do. So you can't mess it up basically. (laughs) So a lot of things that I try to teach people is like the biggest enemy in any sort of financial plan is you messing it up. So what we want to do is make sure that you can't do that or trick yourself into not seeing the money that you actually have so you don't spend it or, you know, building different habits around uh, spending plans and your normal habits and stuff like that uh, to make sure that you don't spend all that money and stuff. So his book is very good at kind of thinking about that uh, holistically. Um, So I actually really enjoyed that. Two books though that not really the financial literacy, but you know, I kind of, I would group into, I guess they're kind of really different, both almost like leadership, entrepreneurship, uh, almost philosophy. But uh, one that I really like, would highly recommend is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Um, and so he was a, yeah, I don't want to mess up his bio. He, he was in the Navy SEALs. He did a lot of, um, of the tactical training. He led a couple, um, Sorry, probably more, much more than a couple, but he was, you know, he was a leader in some of the platoons in uh, overseas and stuff like that. So he has a very deep understanding of what it takes to basically lead any, you know, any two groups of people. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's very important about like kind of like working up and down the chain. And, you know, if anything is supposed to happen, it's like it's your responsibility to do it. Uh, so that, you know, I kind of just like try to take that to heart. Like, you know, if you, you know, if your job is to work with someone or you want to do financial literacy, it's your job to go out and make sure that, you know, people want to listen to you. Right. Uh, so I think that's like a lot of people don't have that mentality, which I think is extremely, <laughs> extremely important for uh, entrepreneurship, but probably life in general. Um, and then I would say the, the second one uh, is Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Um, it's, she can be very controversial. Her other book is called the fountainhead. And so usually it's like, you know, people usually read one or the other. (laughs) Uh, but basically the same thing is like, it's, it's basically just about, you know, doing whatever it takes to kind of reach your goals. Um, some people don't like kind of the message that she gives and says it's kind of, uh, I, I guess bad, but, uh, I listened to it when I was traveling and I'll say that, you know, it did motivate me to start my business which is very helpful to other people so uh, i think it depends how you kind of take the book but between extreme ownership atlas shrugged and shoe dog uh i would say those are probably my top three favorite books nice awesome um i mean we spent we spent the entire time i you you touched on this a little bit but i kind of want to jump back to it so for anyone listening i and again we don't know who's who and who's walking in their shoes. Like we don't know what's like walking their shoes. So if, if we were to, if, do you have any, I guess, practical advice or mini advice for anyone in the realm of financial, liter- like, I, I don't want to say financial literacy, like advice for financial literacy could be sober, but yeah. um, if in the work that you've been doing with green boost and the, the people you've been working with, if there's a trend that you've noticed, uh, maybe what's the, the, 
the largest obstacle that people have to managing money and building wealth? It, it's, it's almost like any goal, right? It's like, first of all, it's having a goal, uh, which most people, you know, kind of don't really yeah. take the time to do. And, and again, that can be any sort of goal career wise. Uh, again, I always like talking about like diets and gyms and stuff like that, but it, you can have money goals as too, right? It's like, I want to have an emergency fund of X. I want to have X dollars when I retire in 40 years, et cetera, et cetera. The second biggest thing though, is once you have that plan, it's actually starting. It's actually doing something. Taking the first step is, you know, and again, it's, it's actually hard to figure out if, if the first one's more important or the second one. Sometimes just starting and then figuring out your end goal is the most important. Um, and so that's why I actually like, uh, uh, I will teach you to be rich because it's just like, if you start, if you make one baby step towards automating any sort of saving or investing, you know, it's just that one that one goal, you'll then start to see a lot of, you know, you'll just start to see it work. And that'll give you kind of the encouragement and motivation to not only keep going, but usually actually kind of, you know, incentivizes you to improve it, make a bigger goal, make another goal, right? And once you start to see all that kind of money accumulate, that's when you really start to take it seriously, because then you're like, okay, I want to make sure I keep this, I want to make sure I grow it. And um, it's really just, you know, have some sort of goal and start doing it. <laughs> and I know that's, you know, again, very broad, but you know, with financial literacy, we try to make it like, here's kind of like the few, the key topics that we try to teach. Now here's the three kind of like baby steps that you can do, you know, right after the workshop, you know, right after the webinar, right after we're done talking to kind of, you know, actually implement this and make sure you're actually benefiting from it. Um, and so, Again, the reason why we're doing, you know, we're kind of moving to the one-on-one -on -one stuff is so, you know, we don't want to just be providing information and charging for it. We want to provide information and make sure that, you know, our customers and our partners are capturing that value. And to do that, they have to kind of, they have to actually act on the advice, right? Um, so that's why I always say, you know, make sure you have a goal and make sure you start, you know, saving or investing, even if it's a small amount. Because the best thing about it is if you're saving $5 one month, you can, you know, save $10 the next. And it doesn't matter where you start. It's just like as long as you keep to improve it. Um, and after that, the motivation will really kick in. Yeah. Um, let me, I, this, something just, just popped into my mind. It was actually, so again, I, I shared that I do some, some, I do bankruptcy work as part of my practice. And I, someone had reached out to me about, or it was like an art, a blog post on my, on my site. And they, and their response is that most people that are broke or struggling with money, it's because they're unemployed, underemployed, or a major life event, right? Education wasn't part of that. Do you, do you agree with the statement like that? Or, or is that the issue? Like people, many people, I'm not gonna say all people categorically, but many people are blind to like whether at the education of financial literacy. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, and so to, to start off like life events, life events, uh, are certainly one of the biggest things. Right. Um, and that's usually medical, which, you know, that goes into like a whole different issue of, you know, how we're laid out and all that stuff. Uh, that said, what you do know 
about life is that uh, crap always comes up, to put, <laughs> to put it simply, right? Uh, be it, you know, if you own a house and you need to replace the roof, right? You don't, most people don't plan to spend $10,000 one summer, right? And that's when all of a sudden you go from no debt to a $10,000 consumer loan, right? Or, you know, you, uh, you buy a used car without doing the research and you have $2,000 of expenses three months after you buy it, right? Or again, the medical expenses. Uh, if you talk to parents, a lot of like, you know, children expenses come up and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of the debt does come from um, life events. What we do say is like, you should plan for those unexpected life events. And, you know, the important part is like, you know, that's why you kind of have a quote unquote emergency fund. So it's like, if stuff does come up, you know, you have that cash set aside for emergencies. So you're not going into, you know, 20% credit card debt, or you're not dipping into retirement savings or, you know, your uh, children's college fund or anything like that, right? You actually have a pot of money set aside to protect you from those life events. Um, you know, I think that said, you know, after like talking to a lot of people and it's, you know, I think it's all, it's different based on, you know, your income and, and like a thousand other factors, but it's also very clear that a lot of people will just spend 105% of their income every month. Right. And so there's a lot of people who are just like, I don't track my money. I spend everything on a credit card and I pay off what I can at the end of the month. And you know, the simple tweak is I go to the bar one less time per month <laughs> and that all works itself out. But a lot of people don't go through that, that, that math. Right. And so a lot of times, you know, you can't necessarily change the financial situation, but you can kind of help them prepare for what will likely happen. And again, you don't necessarily know when it'll happen, what will happen or like anything like that. Uh, but it's just important to be like, okay, you know, if you set this aside, you know, this is kind of your insurance fund. So that part of the education, you know, is very important. I don't want to say it's like, you know, I, I guess I don't know if your question was related to like, college education or something like that, or just like teaching them kind of like the basics. But, you know, again, it kind of goes back to having that goal or having that plan at the very beginning and automating it. So, you know, the one group saves $50 a month for the oh crap fund <laughs> and the other group sets it up. So they literally can't spend more than they make every month. Right. But that all comes down to, you know, you kind of have to start that at the very beginning. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to capture people or reach people before they're realizing, you know, uh, I'm lost my job for three months because of COVID. And now I wish I had that emergency fund or, you know, God forbid, I have to have a, uh, some sort of, you know, medical procedure. And now I have to get a loan for it. Right. So we're trying to reach people before they dig themselves into that hole. Yeah. Um, and so again, longer term, you really need to reach people like you know, before they're 22, basically, right? I mean, it's like, you know, you, most people are gonna come out with student loans. Um, that's a whole different issue about, you know, the education behind student loans, or not even the education of what you're paid for, but like the importance of making sure that you balance that 
education that you pay for with a job that can pay you money and paying it off as fast as possible kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but just making sure like, you know, that time when you're, you know, at 25 to 35 or whatever it is, you know, you're not going crazy and putting, uh, you know, trips to Greece on your credit card. And, <laughs> and then, you know, you kind of realize later, you're like, oh, that was, I definitely should not have done that. Um, so there's, you know, two groups of people where it's like, people do stupid things, or they're in like, unfortunate situations, right? But the whole idea is to kind of reach them as soon as possible. So you kind of tell them like, hey, this is how you prevent and protect yourself from those unexpected events. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, that- I, it does. And that's, that's, yeah. I think that's, you know, and that's why I wanted to bring up that comment that somebody left me because it felt like the, um, they were coming from just a, I don't want to call it a results, like a results approach or what's immediately visible to them, but there's all right. Life is, life is bound to happen. And so yeah. underemployment, unemployment, life events happen to each and every one of us. And, um, to not, I, I think the, you know, the not being prepared is like you're pointing out the issue, knowing that it's going to happen. It may not be today. It may be in, in five years, but, yeah. um, you know, that, that's where I think I, I wanted to bring that up with you. So I appreciate that. Um, turning back to green boost real quick, like what's, what's next for, for green boost? Like where, where is it? What can we look forward to in, in the coming months and, um, from green boost and from you? Yeah. So, um, we are, again, like I said, we've been working on kind of pivoting to a digital platform. Um, so you've said a couple of times, but our website is greenboost.co, uh, not .com. I don't know where that takes you. We are greenboost.co. <laughs> uh, yeah, no guarantees if you go to greenboost.com. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, again, what we're trying to do, uh, as soon as COVID hit, right, we tried to get online as quickly as possible and start doing weekly, uh, like, 101 webinars, right? So we continue to do those. Um, we try to do them every Thursday at noon and we just cover a very basic topic. It's 30 minutes. You can jump online and join us. Uh, there's a link on the website again. Um, and so we, again, we try, we set those up immediately because we're like, okay, everyone needs financial literacy right now. Uh, it's not right to charge people for, you know, access to this information that they should have had, you know, whatever, five, 10 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. So we started doing that for free. We're going to continue to do that for free just to kind of give people the very basics, kind of see like where we are and stuff like that, what we offer, uh, the importance of everything we do. Um, and over time, you know, we're going to be, you know, working on a digital platform for people to access. So, you know, if you want access to all the prior webinars and stuff like that, if you want to work with an actual, you know, coach and accountability partner and stuff like that, like I said, it's like financial literacy is literally just following a very basic plan month over month over month. It's very boring, but again, that's like, you know, if you ask the strongest people you see at the gym, why they're so fit, it is not because they're eating a thousand calories a day. It's because they've been working out for whatever, 365 days a year for the past 10 years. Right. And <laughs> that sounds terrible, but that's kind of the way that you, you know, build wealth as well, right? It's, it's following a very consistent plan over time. So we're trying to help people do that. Um, same thing. Um, if you happen to uh, work for a company who might be interested in hosting us or offering us an employee benefit, we're starting to explore that. I think that's gonna be really cool for a lot of people. Um, 
but yeah, the easiest thing for everyone to kind of, you know, see what we do and stuff like that is join our free webinars. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, my email is thomas at greenboost.co. You can, you guys can spam my email. You can ask me questions, whatever you want and see if that can be helpful. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're excited. I think it's like, you know, when you talk to people and, and ask them if they need financial literacy, I think everyone knows that they need to do it more. So again, taking that extreme ownership model, we are trying to figure out the best way that, you know, we can be helpful and uh, make sure, you know, we're communicating with people what we offer and reaching the right people. So if people are kind of passionate about any of those things, uh, would love to kind of, you know, chat with anyone who's interested, uh, be it employees or uh, potential customers, be it partners, uh, or people who just want to talk about financial literacy. I love, I love talking about financial literacy, actually. So. Very awesome. Uh Thomas, thank you so much, man. This has been incredible. I think we talked a lot about, um, it's, it's a very good conversation, not just about the, the mechanics of what you're doing with, with Green Boost, but also sort of the, the meta or the value conversations behind that. You as, as the driving force behind Green Boost that individuals have to have and also the partner organizations that you're trying to work with. So uh, this, was, this has been great. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And we talked about this a couple of times, but you know, any sort of like, uh, you know, if you have some sort of goal, if you have like the ability to, you know, help other people, just like take the first step. Uh, you know, if, if more people just like hosted podcasts and got more like great information out, again, if you're just helping, if you have the ability to help one person, then I think you should like be forced morally to do that. So, you know, I hope, I hope your podcast encourages people to kind of go out and do big things. Uh, and I love what you're doing and I hope other people, you know, kind of get on the train as well. Really appreciate it, man. So what I'll do is I'll link up again, greenboost.co in the show notes, also connect your email address. And I mean, if you want to, whatever else, uh, however people, if they want to connect with you, they can in the show notes. But with that, Thomas, Rob, again, thank you, CEO of greenboost.co. Um, you can check it out. Greenboost.co, not.com greenboost.co. <laughs> uh, again, link that up in the show notes. Um, with that, everyone, thank you. Take care. Be well.